This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pentecostal Periodical Magazine, a 501c3 ministry with writers who believe and live apostolic doctrine. A few writers include Kelly Nix, Scott Phillips, Samantha Thrash, Neil Purcell, Larry Chocklin, Jeff Arnold, and more. You can subscribe at www.pentecostalperiodical.com. If you would like to join our writing team or would like to make a donation, email us at info at pentecostalperiodical.com. Today we've got a very special guest with us. I'm so excited about this particular episode uh, because I think it's needful and I think it's important. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to it. But today we've got uh, Brother Jeff uh, Reddy with us. Um, Brother Reddy, would you just uh, introduce yourself, tell our listeners a bit about you, your ministry, where you are serving right now, and maybe a little bit about what God's doing where you're at. Great. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here, and uh, thank you for this great opportunity. So my, uh, my wife and I, we've been married about 32 years and been in ministry the majority of that time. Um, we've, been, we've served in several capacities throughout the years. We've, we planted a church in Kansas City, Missouri, metropolitan area, uh, started a daughter work uh, among the Samoan community when we were there, and kind of uh, have always had a multicultural ministry um, perspective, you know, looking for opportunities in other cultures. And uh, after pastoring there for about five and a half years, we actually thought we were going on the mission field. And so we resigned our church, turned both of those congregations over to two pastors, both of them 20 years now that since they got started are still going strong. And we went back to our, our, uh, our pastor, Brother Stan Gleason, worked with him there in Kansas City for a few years. And the missions thing kind of closed for us there for a while. And uh, so after about five years being with him, working with his multicultural ministry, uh, we had 17 nationalities in our church, kind of working with all different cultures. We, uh, we felt the Lord's timing was right for us to pastor again. So he directed us to Flagstaff, Arizona. We pastored there and um, recognized right away that the multicultural opportunity was among the Native American community. And uh, the Lord really blessed us in that uh, area. Our church grew, and when we left, we had about 65% of our congregation was Native from nine different tribes. We had preaching points on the Navajo, Apache, and Hopi reservations. And the Lord really worked out um, quite a few things. We actually got involved with foster care, ended up adopting two children that are Navajo. So currently I have four children, and they are 31, 28, 6, and 5. <laughs> and so we've got them all spread out. But our two youngest children came to us having some challenges due to uh, drug exposure in the womb and things of that nature. And the Lord's really been blessing them. Uh, we felt our time, once the adoption was complete, we felt our time there was limited uh, due to some extenuating circumstances in the community uh, with the with the extended family. And so uh, we 
we were done with native ministry. The Lord redirected us back to Kansas City. And uh, within about a year and a half ago, we were appointed as missionaries to the native community. And so now what we do is churches all around North America who uh, want help reaching into that community will have us come spend anywhere from four to six months, try to start a daughter work or a preaching point, uh, make some connections in the native community. We have 574 tribes in America on 330 reservations. So there's quite a bit of work to be done in native ministry. Amen. So that just kind of uh, brings us up to, to current. And we're currently in Bismarck, North Dakota. We've been here about two months, and we are working with the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation. And I'm happy to report that on Sunday, just two days ago, um, uh, let me back up just a little bit. A church in South Dakota had connected with a non-denominational church uh, on the reservation in South Dakota. And even though it's in a different district, a different state, uh, we're actually closer than the, than the church in South Dakota. They're about 140 miles away. We're about 75 miles away. So we've been going there, meeting them there, helping with that work. And on Sunday, uh, we baptized the pastor and six of the saints of the church. So seven people baptized in Jesus' name in this non-denominational church. They already have to have the Holy Ghost, and God is leading them into more truth. And so we're thankful for that uh, opportunity. That is absolutely incredible. I love that. I, I love hearing, you know, stories about people that see the need and are willing to pursue that need. You know, that's that's Absolutely. that's incredible. Um, but, I mean, I guess that goes along with what we're going to be talking about um, for this episode, defining apostolic. What does it mean to be apostolic, and how does that apply to me biblically? You know, we when we're defining what uh, it means to be apostolic, obviously we have to look at what the Bible says about that. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm looking forward to hear what you've prepared, sir. So go right on. Awesome. Well, I, I'll just start out with uh, some scripture here in John 17. John 17 chapter is, is what I call the Lord's actual prayer. <laughs> Not to be confused with the Lord's prayer that gets repeated many times when in reality it was more of a pattern of how to pray. It wasn't a repeat after me prayer. And so when, when Jesus really prayed for his disciples, his apostles, uh, he, he said uh, in verse 17, talking to, to the Father, talking to God, you know, about the disciples that were there, sanctify them through your truth, thy word is truth. He said, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world, which is a very key part of what we're going to talk about tonight. Verse 19 says, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified. Then he says, neither pray I for these alone, talking about the disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Well, that's us. That's the church today. Because we have believed on Jesus through the words of the apostles and their doctrine. And he says that they may be one as Father that art, thou art in me and I in thee. They may be one in us. And then again, he says that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Then jumping over a couple chapters in John 20, verse 21, it just says, Then Jesus said again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And I, I, I just want to share a little bit tonight. Uh, I know you probably have a, a wide audience, and maybe some people tune in that are not part of an apostolic church. 
And it would be great to have that. And we want to make sure they understand what we mean by apostolic. But I also want to point out that a lot of us in the apostolic church might have a different differing ideas of what the definition is of apostolic. So, right. uh, you know, we, we teach and preach the message the apostles taught. I think that's what the majority of us mean when we say we're apostolic. We, we have the same message that they taught 2,000 years ago. And, of course, I'm thankful for this message. I'm thankful for the heritage. I, I was not raised in church. Um, I didn't come into the church until I was 20 years of age. And kind of my testimony real quick is a little off. Uh, the subject, but it gets us back to where I'm, I'm going tonight. Uh, I was at 20 years of age. I had a $500 a day drug addiction. I was an alcoholic. I was selling drugs in order to provide for my own habits. I had already been a pallbearer in seven funerals, seven friends close enough that their family would ask me to serve in that capacity. Uh, that's a lot to experience by the age of 20. And uh, I, I was in a bad situation and, and God directed me through the course of events to an apostolic church, when I finally got serious with myself and honest with God, he filled me with the Holy Ghost. I was baptized in his name. In one night, I was delivered from all of my addiction. And, uh, you know, I tell people all the time, I, I thank God for 12-step programs. There are several that are out there, whether it be AA or uh, Celebrate Recovery or some of the ones that, you know, that are more, uh, use more church lingo. I thank God for that. I've taught those classes I think it's a great resource, but uh, I don't want anyone to think that you have to have 12 steps to get out of addiction because Jesus can do it in a moment's time at, at an altar, and that's what he did for me. And so, you know, when I came into this, I, I learned real quickly what the heritage was of the apostolic church, and I thank God for that. I don't want to take away from that. I certainly don't want to tear down any fences or try to, you know, plow new territory, uh, from what our forefathers have given us. But I don't think that, that just using the this definition of apostolic to mean we teach and preach what the apostles taught is really uh, doing service to us in the meaning of that word. Because the word apostolic or the word apostle simply just means one who is sent. That, that's what an, an apostle is, one who is sent. Now, I have been sent to the Native American Reservation. Uh, however... You're not going to see me anytime soon change my Facebook profile to Apostle Jeff Reddy. You know, that's just not what I'm going to do uh, because that just seems kind of awkward to me and, and, and weird. But, but we have to realize that we, we don't need to be scared of terminology that's biblical. Mm. And, uh, you know, all, all honesty, we've all been sent. We've all been sent to serve wherever we, we live or wherever we are. Um, and so I think we're living in amazing times. Our culture is changing all around us. There's pandemic, there's unrest, there's turmoil. And Jesus said he has sent us into the world at this time. He could have sent Peter and Paul right now, but he didn't. He sent you and he sent me. And, uh, and I'm thankful for that. There was a study recently or a few years back, a Hartford study on religion. And the main question they were asking the people they surveyed was uh, are, what, what religious group are they affiliated with? Now, when I say this, I'm not just talking about denominations of Christianity. I'm talking about Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, you know, uh, Wiccan, any religion would be included in the survey. And the fastest growing category 
in this whole survey was the unaffiliated. Wow. One in four people was said they were not affiliated with any religion at all. And so this is the America that we live in and, we, and where we work. And, and, and so here's the thing. Sometimes church people, we feel like because there's a downward slope of religious affiliation, that people are less spiritual. But that's not always the case. Because I have found spiritualities taken off. And, and, and we go out there into a world and, and try to have church conversations in a culture that's increasingly not interested. But what they want to have is God conversations. Mm. But, but the problem is a lot of us don't know how to have a God conversation without hooking it to a church wagon, so to speak, you know. Uh, and, and so we have a massive disconnect that goes on because we are still trying to go out and invite people to church instead of meeting them where they are and, and uh, you know, finding out what they're interested in, finding out where they stand on spirituality and meeting their need. You know, so now let me just say this. I, I'm not against church. I go every week, you know, yeah. <laughs> multiple times a week, right? right? So that's not what I'm saying. But, but uh, and you've probably heard this. This is kind of a cliche, uh, but it really is true. We don't necessarily need to get better at, at doing church. We need to get better at being the church. And, you know, so I, I, I told a group recently, or I was speaking at a North Dakota camp meeting, actually, and I said, and of course, this might be a little bit of a shocker to some of us who are, uh, you know, especially in ministry in the apostolic church. But, but I said, I want to challenge you today to get out of the church business and get into the people business, because that's the business that Jesus is in. You know, it's, it's like Acts chapter 15. Remember how the Holy Ghost began to be poured out and the Samaritans received it. And then the disciples, they had been experiencing the outpouring for a while, but they were kind of shocked that the Samaritans got it, and then it got even worse. The Italians started receiving it, and and they had to call a meeting to decide, can God keep doing this? You know, and it's like all of heaven stood still waiting for the church to vote on it. <laughs> and, of course, that's not true, but but that's kind of the way they, they acted. I, I'll read it to you, the first six verses in Acts 15. It says, certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren, and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Where therefore Paul, or when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So, uh, and I'm making light of some things that maybe I shouldn't, but hopefully you'll forgive me. But, but they got called in before the district board. And they didn't like the answer, so they sent them to the general board, is the way it, it reads, you know. And so yeah. they had to go down to Jerusalem. And so along the way, they went to Phoenice and, and went to some of these places. And it says the Samaritans, there was great joy. It's amazing to me how they had a problem talking to religious people about what God was doing. But when they shared with Samaritans that other, or, or the Phoenicians that other Samaritans were receiving the Holy Ghost, they didn't have any problem with it. They rejoiced. And so they get down there and they declare to the apostles and elders all that God had done. And it says, Then there rose up a certain sect of the Pharisees, that which is needful is to circumcise them. And verse 6 is, is the verse I want to get to. It says, The apostles and elders came together to consider the matter. They actually had a business meeting 
to decide if God could keep pouring out the Spirit on, on Gentiles and Samaritans. And, and so they were guilty kind of of the same things that we are guilty of sometimes. And what that is is we think that we are the church and that the church has a mission. But I want us to start thinking a little differently. I want to think God has a mission and God's mission has a church. Wow. Right? So there's still the church, and we, it's still very important, and we're not going to change what we do. But we just need to realize that, yes, we have a role to play in it, but we're not the point. Right? The kingdom of God is the point. And I think we forget that sometimes, and we put the church on that pedestal uh, as the end-all, be-all. You know, Jesus didn't say, pray thy church come. He said, pray thy kingdom come. You know, he didn't say, I've come to give you church and church more abundantly. He said life and life more abundantly. So we have to decide, are non-church people going to have to become church people before they uh, can get the gospel? And so that, that's kind of where my whole ministry lies. We, with, with Native ministry, you know, we don't do a lot of things at the church. There's not very many apostolic churches on reservations. Um, so we have to go to where the people are, meet the need, earn their trust, earn the right to speak into their life, and then develop that relationship. It's, it's just a long-term process. But and So I want to get back to what the bedrock of mission is, You know what, what mission really means. What does it really mean to be apostolic? My pastor, where I got the Holy Ghost uh, 34 years ago now in, in Mississippi, uh, he used to say some were sent. And some just went. And I kind of think that's that's kind of funny and comical. But uh, reality is, if we're not sent and sent by God, we're not going to be effective in the mission field that where we serve. And that's exactly what the word mission comes from. It comes from a Latin phrase, missio dei. Missio just means to send, and dei means God. So basically, to be sent by God. But, but it really recognizes another thing about mission. Mission begins with God. It's about God sending, not just sending us, but him sending himself through the man Christ Jesus into this world. You know, we often think about mission as us being sent first. But Missio Dei tells us that God is the one who is sent. And, and I think that takes the pressure off. Because when we realize that God is sent to the world, and then he sends us into that same world... I don't have to manufacture anything. His spirit's already there working. His spirit's already there drawing. And we read in John chapter 20 that as my father has sent me, even so send I you. So we don't just go out there and start doing things on our own, uh, though that's typically the way sometimes we try to start. But we should look for where God's already working in the world and find ways to join in with him on, on those locations. Um, and I've got some, some testimony examples about that very thing. When, when we were in Arizona pastoring, we were there about a year, and nothing was happening the way I thought it would. You know, I had planned it all out. We were going to go to the Navajo Reservation and do this, and we're going to go to the Apache Reservation and do that. And Sometimes I think, brother, when we're planning everything we're going to do for God, God is in heaven, you know, kind of with his arms folded, like, are you done yet? You know, in other words, when I get done planning, God will tell me what he's going to do. Yeah. And it's, it's, 
He blesses us. He blesses our plans at times. But it's so much nicer to find out what he's already doing and join in with him. And so I didn't know that. I, I learned that kind of the hard way. Everything we tried was just brick wall. And then one day a man came to me and said, Pastor, will you come and go pray for my grandmother? She's sick. And I said, well, absolutely. Is she in the hospital? He said, no, she's two and a half hours out on the Navajo reservation. Well, I had already said yes. You know, and, and I didn't want to break his trust because trust is the is one of the main issues that we have with Native ministries, they, the trust factor. And so I, I said, okay, that's fine. I was, besides pastoring, I was working a job. And so I took a day off work uh, Thursday, and I called him that morning, said, I'll come pick you up. We'll go pray for your grandmother. And he says, well, I'm not going. I have to work. And, you know, I thought that's very unusual. And, you know, I had to work, and I took a day off. And if I get a day off, I want to do outreach in my city. I don't, you know, this probably sounds terrible, but I don't want to drive two and a half hours one way to pray for somebody that I, that's probably never going to come to my church, you know. So I got my directions, and I drive out there. And when I get there, there's 24 people in this house, and they wanted a Bible study. And I said, that's wonderful. We'll, we'll do that. Can you tell me how that even came about? And they said, we decided that if you're going to drive two and a half hours one way to pray for somebody you never met, we need to hear what you have to say. Wow. And so we did a Bible study. And later it became a preaching point, and we sent some of our ministers there. We baptized a few people there. And uh, but, but I didn't know that all that was going to happen later. I just knew what had happened that one day. And I was thanking God for it and driving back. And I, I, but I said, Lord, help me focus. Teach me to reach the native people in my city. Then about three weeks later, a, another young man came and said, uh, my brother's in trouble for domestic violence. He's going to prison. And my mom wants you to pray for him. And I said, sure. Is it your brother here at the university? No, it was my, his other brother. Two and a half hours the opposite way on the Apache reservation. It got to where I had to start saying, where are they, before I said yes, because some of these places were so remote. But uh, I already agreed to do it, and so I said, sure, I'll go. And uh, when are we doing it? And he says, well, my mom knows that you work during the day, so she said we'll do it Wednesday night. Well, we had church on Wednesday night, but I had already agreed to do it. So I got somebody else to preach, and I'm driving out there, and I'm kind of down on myself for agreeing to do this. Because, you know, I'm leaving the church that God sent me to pastor. I'm driving two and a half hours to pray for a guy that when I get done praying is still going to prison. You know, nothing's going to change. He's already been before the judge. There's no chance of a, of a retrial. And, uh, and so I was kind of telling myself, you got to quit agreeing to do this stuff, you know. And all the while, God's just laughing at me in the background, you know, because he knows what he's doing. And, and I... I I trust him enough to go do it when I feel the urge. I just don't always have the best attitude about it. You know, I'm just trying to be yeah. as honest as I can. Yeah, right. And uh, about halfway there, he called and said, my mom said, since you're going to drive this far, she wants to have a church service. And I said, well, that sounds better. How are we going to do that? He said, I don't know. I'll call you back. So he just hangs up, and I'm driving along. And, you know, most of my ministry is just driving around in the fog waiting for God to tell me what to do next. You know? <laughs> Come on. Yeah, so he called me back, and I'm about 30 minutes from the location, and he said, he said, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. And I said, I probably will. Just go ahead, go ahead and tell me. He said, my mom found a church 
who does not have Wednesday night service, and she borrowed their building. I had never even heard of that. I thought if I knew I could borrow buildings, <laughs> I could have saved thousands of dollars in Kansas City on those first two churches. But So I get to the borrowed building. In all honesty, my faith is still not very high. How many people can be here? I mean, they didn't even have a building until 30 minutes ago. And when I got there, 42 people were in this building and wanting a service. We sang a couple songs. I preached. Altar filled up with hurting, broken, hungry people. I prayed for his brother. And uh, and I've told this story a few places on deputation, but I, I think I was kind of hard on his brother because I, I said something like, now God, he's going to prison. He didn't have anything to do for the next year, you know. You've got his undivided attention. Get a hold of his life so he doesn't get out of prison, make the same dumb mistake, and go right back to prison. And, of course, I said, in Jesus' name, you know, amen. And he kind of looked at me like, what kind of prayer is that, you know? But but the reality is that's what he needed to hear. And then I went down and prayed for other folks that were not going to be going anywhere. And later it became a preaching point. And uh, there's a church plant there now that – and Brother Wilt, our former missionary to the Native Americans, um, he came and helped us there and baptized several people there in the in the river. And it just great things happened. But that night, I didn't know all that was going to happen later. So it's after midnight. I'm driving home. I have to get up and go to work the next day. I'm tired. And I said, Lord, you know, help me to focus. Teach me to reach the Native people in my city. And eventually God was like, you know, hello, what do you, what do you think we've been doing? But it didn't look like what I thought it was going to look like. You know, they weren't coming to my building. And I, I guess what I want to say is I, I was measuring all the things that we've always been told matters. Mm. You know, how many people are coming? How much money's in the offering? Are they coming back next week? You know, do their, you know, do their kid's wedding, their grandpa's funeral, go to the graduations and, and be there when all the babies are born. And, and all of that's important. I have no problem with any of it. But you know, there's such a need, maybe places where they can't get to us, uh, even right in our own communities. Uh, how many people, you know, can't come to church at 10 o'clock on Sunday because they work? You know, I, I use the example, you don't want the Mexican restaurant to close so they can all come to church because you want to go to eat after church. And if you keep eating Mexican food too much, you certainly don't want the EMS workers to be off work and at, at church because they, you might need their assistance one of these days. So, you know, th- we have to look at ways of reaching people versus just expecting them to come to us. Wow. After a while, these things happened seven or eight, I think total of eight or nine times, where we would get asked to go pray for one or two people. There'd be a whole crowd. I think God knows that if he told me up front what's going to happen, I would find a way to overthink it and mess it up. And so he just says, you go pray for one person and, you know, you'll figure it out when you get there. And one other, I'm not going to give the whole story, but one other testimony. I went to baptize one man, and through the course of events, I ended up talking to 80 people in his family uh, at his funeral, actually, about baptism. And God just orchestrated that thing in, in, in a way that, that uh, I could never even imagine. But these, these things happen all around us because I, I go with the intention of I have been sent. And, and I've been, I feel like I have been sent to the Native community. And, and I don't think, I have no problem 
working with the homeless, the drug addict, and, and all of these things, some of that's in my, my background. But I don't want to limit God either. I think God can give us uh, so much more than than what we give ourselves credit for. Um, I was talking to one friend, and he, and he says, well, if you, know, if you think God's going to give you a whole a whole tribe or whatever, um, you know, that's pretty arrogant. And, you know, you need to be more humble than that. And I said, no, you, you have the wrong definition of humility. I said, because if you think you can accomplish a little, then you need to be more humble. The way I view it is I can't do anything. But if God's going to do it, why, why sell him short? Wow. Why not just give him opportunity to do so much more? Um, and so Amen. I don't want to put a limit on God and, and, and but on the other side of that coin I'm willing to go for the one you know I, I went two and a half hours of prayer for, and this isn't about me this is just some testimonies of what we've experienced um, a couple more stories if you have time absolutely kind of leads into this you know being sent and, and I think that's an important aspect I said at the beginning we're all sent we're all apostolic but if there's a specific ministry that God's calling someone into um, you know, he, you need to go with the authority that he sent you. And of course your pastor, your spiritual leader, your, you know, if you are a pastor, your, your, your pastor, or maybe your district or superintendent or somebody will acknowledge that and, and validate that as well. And in, in that sending, I think it's very important to not just go off on our own and try to, you know, I, I wouldn't want people in, in churches near reservations to just drive out on the reservation. And, and start trying to do something without feeling that God is sending them to do that. If yeah. he is, they're going to be able to see great results. If he's not, they might feel like the sons of Sceva when they get done. So, you know, I, I think that's an important aspect. But I was in uh, Prescott, Arizona back in February, and I was supposed to preach in a service, and uh, they got me a nice room at the Hampton Inn, and Saturday night. So I get in there Saturday afternoon a little early and I said, Hey, I know I'm early, but can I go ahead and check in? And the lady said, yeah, in fact, it's good that you got here early. We plan to be pretty busy today. The hotel is sold out tonight. Well, this is like a four story hotel. And I'm thinking what's going on in Prescott Valley, Arizona on in the middle of February, you know? So I asked her, I said, why is your hotel sold out? And she said, well, there's, there's a couple of things going on in town. There's a Chicago concert right around the corner at this arena. And then she said the state basketball finals are here this weekend. And well, I'm a people person. So I got my things in the room real fast and I came back downstairs in, in the lobby and I was just watching people as they came in. And I was kind of playing a game, deciding who was there for the concert and who was there for the basketball tournament, you know, and, it wasn't too hard to figure it out, but uh, most of the young families were there for the tournament, and most of the over 68 group was there for the Chicago concert because they hadn't been a, a factor on the music scene for a long time, in my opinion. But uh, so I noticed all these people coming in. Well, the next morning, I'm getting ready for church. I go down to have a little breakfast, and and the the breakfast area is just full of people, and there's this group of girls, eight or ten girls, come down, and they're just excited like like they never went to sleep they just riding a, a wave and so i assume that they must have done well in the tournament i just asked one of them, they, they were all native american and i just asked one of the girls i said uh hey did you guys win a game in the tournament and she said we didn't just win a game we won state in our class 
And uh, apparently it was a big upset. They weren't expected to win. A lot of the reservation uh, schools have limited resources and maybe not as good of equipment. But basketball is like the sport on the reservation because all you need is a hoop and a ball. You don't need all this other equipment. So they, they take pride in their, in their basketball. So they were all excited. And then I noticed a gentleman about 70 years old, and he was just beaming from ear to ear. And, uh, and I said, hey, are you here with the team that won state? And he said, yes, I am. And he said, you see that one right there? That's my granddaughter. And I said, and I was sitting at a table that just had two chairs, still had some eggs and stuff on the plate. I just pushed my plate to the side, and I said, why don't you sit down and tell me about the tournament? So he begins telling me about, you know, they won and they were unexpected and they cut down the nets and they got this trophy and all this great stuff. And, uh, and I said, well, you told me they were from uh, Rock Point on the Navajo Reservation. I said, I've, I've been to Rock Point before. And he kind of looked at me just with a sideways you know, glare, like, no, you're mistaken. I mean, you don't just go to Rock Point, Arizona. It's in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, but he went on and told the rest of the story. And then I, I said, are you also from Rock Point? He said, no, I'm from Tewa. I said, oh, really? You live on top of First Mesa on the Hopi Reservation. I said, I've been to Tewa before, and I've been to Sitsop's Movie and some of these other communities. Now this guy's looking at me like I fell off the turnip truck or something, you know. And, and finally he says, who are you? Because, you know, Caucasian people just don't know these communities. It's rare that you would be in that part of the, of the state. So I told him what we do. We're native missionaries and what we did in Arizona, you know, when I would live there before. And I was out there raising partners in missions and all that this trip. And and he just said, uh, I said, I would love to come back to Tewa sometime and hear more about, you know, how your family ended up there and, uh, you know, more about your people. And at this point in the story, the man's crying and he says, well, I hope you keep your word. I want you to come back because I need to hear more about what it is you're doing for my people. And I left there and I had to go to church and preach. And the whole time I'm preaching to this church, I'm thinking, I wish I was still at that breakfast table because that was where I felt like I needed to be. You know what I mean? But this is, these are the things that are all around us everywhere we go. And, uh, and so God will send us the one and then one last story. And I'm, I know I've been doing all the talking, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just share this as well about being sent. He sends us the one, but he also will send us the multitude. Back in, um, in May, I was scheduled to come here uh, to Bismarck the 1st of June and um, spend about four or five months. Well, I was going uh, to Oklahoma for a week. The pastor there wanted me to come spend a few days kind of feel this out and see if this was something he wanted to bring us in for an extended period of time to work in his area. So he's in Durant, Oklahoma, and that's the headquarters of the Choctaw Nation. Well, I found out from him that he had a man in his church who worked for them. He's part Choctaw, and he works at the, at the headquarters. So I contacted him with permission, and I found out from him that the chief of their tribe is a Christian which is unusual. A lot of times the leadership in these tribes are traditional. So I just said, hey, brother, why don't you contact the chief and see if we can set up a meeting while I'm there? And so that's what he did, and, and we had a meeting, and I thought, well, I'm going to take him a gift. Uh, if I was going to 
bring a gift to a non-Christian chief. I might bring some type of blanket or, you know, something that, that's, that speaks to their culture. But since he was a Christian, I bought him an apostolic study Bible. And I had his name engraved on the front, engraved on the front, you know, chief of the Choctaw Nation and all that, and real nice. And, uh, and I took it to him. We had a great meeting. He, he started crying when he got the Bible. He said, you know, the only other Bible he's ever been given was this Choctaw language Bible that they gave him when he was inaugurated as chief. And um, he's pretty proud of what they've been able to accomplish there. We asked him how the church can help serve the tribe. And, and uh, he said, well, right here in Durant, we have all of our services, all of our, you know, our headquarters is here, our health and human services, all that stuff's there. He said, but we have a school in another community. It's a boarding school for troubled teenagers. And he said, I would love to get some help with that, like with big brother, big sister type setup or whatever. So the church agreed to do that. They're, they've already started doing that since I was there. And then before we left, I just said, I just felt like there was something else he wanted to do. I said, Chief, is there something else that you would have us to do uh, for you? We want to we want to do what we can. He said, let's see how this thing goes at the school. And he says, they tell me you're going to be coming back and spending a few months here. He said, when you get back, he said, I've got 32 church buildings. The Choctaw Nation is in 10 and a half counties in southeastern Oklahoma. He said, I got 32 church buildings in small communities that were formerly Nazarene or Baptist or whatever, you know, just other denominations. And because the communities are so small, those church organizations can't put a pastor there and support it. So these buildings are empty. He said, uh, if you want, I, I'll give you access to all 32 of them. You can teach and preach in those buildings. And he said, and furthermore, when you get ready to do that, I'll send out a memo to those communities and endorse it, and the people will come because the chief of the tribe said do it, you know. Um, so he's given us access to 32 buildings, no charge. We can teach and preach apostolic doctrine. You know, now we have to figure out a way to facilitate that. You know, one church can't do all that. But in those 10 counties, there could be eight or 10 UPC churches. And why not make it a, a combined effort, you know, with whoever's closest, take, take that. And it's an, it's an outreach opportunity uh, all across 10 counties. So when you're willing to go for the one, God will send you the multitude. It's kind of the, my thoughts on that story. And, and so kind of to close out my lesson, I kind of got into the testimony mode and got off track here. But but I, I'm talking about a shifting from seeing mission as something we do and start seeing mission as who we are. Wow. Uh, That's good. So in other words, outreach or, or evangelism or discipleship is not a two-hour window on Saturday. I don't need to add something else to my calendar. That's why we have so much trouble getting people to come to outreach. They're already so busy. And now we're asking them to give up two hours on Saturday to come do outreach, and that's adding another layer to their already busy schedule. But if we look at it as mission is who I am, then as I go shopping, or if my you know if my neighbor's kids in a, a little league baseball game and I want to go support my neighbor, you know, be on mission wherever I go, and and so. In fact, I think in the Great Commission, uh, of course, you know, the King James Version says, go ye to all the world and preach the gospel. Other versions say, go make disciples. But the real translation, if you look it up in the Greek, it doesn't say go. It says, as you are going. 
Wow. So, so instead of me saying, brother, go to this community and make disciples, I'm saying, as you're going about your daily life to Walmart, to the grocery store, on your job, in your neighborhood, as you are going, make disciples. And I think that brings it a lot more in line with how the scripture really meant. And, and I don't want to wrongly assume that I'm the one bringing God to the world. God was sent to the world before I was ever thought of, you know. And our job is, is to discover God in our world and join him in his work. Amen. Amen. As you were talking, and you know, one you mentioned Paul and Barnabas having to go go before, you know, the, uh, the elders, if you will, yeah. of, the, of the church. Um, because God was doing something that they, their minds didn't perceive as normal or right or whatever. And, uh, because they were, you know, they, they weren't Jews. So can this really be happening? Right. And, uh, but Paul, you read all throughout, you know, the new Testament, these places that Paul ended up jail cells from shipwrecks to, you know, King's courts, right. Uh, from, you know, the lowest point to probably the highest point in all these right. different communities because he, 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 he knew what God was telling him to do. And so as he went, as he went everywhere he went, and then there was, I'm thinking about that time he got bit by the serpent and they're like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Why aren't you dead? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait, this, 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 this is not happening through sometimes our adversity or what feels like adversity God will take it bless it and he will just make that have that seemingly small thing for instance you were talking about all these different testimonies that happened and it it seemed like a small thing but you know in your mind at the moment it's like wow this is a really big sacrifice like I could be here yeah. doing this and so now you're going out and you're you're doing what what God has said to do and what you feel is right and as you're being led by the spirit God takes that little bit and he multiplies it and that's when that multiplication factor comes in and you know yeah. anybody no matter where your community is or who you're trying to reach it doesn't matter how much you know it doesn't I could, you could know, you could read the Bible every single day, know it from cover to cover. If you can't connect with people, you're not going to impact them. And that's really what it's all about. Jesus, with the original 12 disciples, right? He had a community with them. He, he fellowshiped with them and taught them and cared about them. And in his ministry, showed them different things and, and ways to do things and and how to act and and how to be you know Christ followers and Christians and how to do all these things and how how to certain forms of prayer and uh miracles signs wonders they saw it all but, that's right but he then said what i've shown you now you've got to go do yeah cuz i'm not going to be here in in body but i'll be with you in spirit Right. Well, then, like you said, Paul went to the jail, and then he went to the to the throne. So, you know, in all these different contexts, 
and Jesus was the perfect example in that way as well. You know, he, he fed the 5,000. He had the big crowd. But he also went for the one. I, I love the story of the Legion of, of Gathering. But the thing I like the most about it is it says that they got in a boat and went across the water to the other side. And they came up. And then right after this whole encounter with, with Legion and the deliverance and I want to go with you. No, you stay here and you be the witness here. Then it says they got back in the boat and went back across the, the lake. He literally went all the way across the lake for one person. Yep. You know, and I think sometimes we miss the fact that, that uh, you know, there was all this effort and travel involved. And because he's asleep in the bow of the boat and, and there's a storm, you know, the disciples could have died. And I can just imagine if the disciples were anything like we are and like I am at times, you know, not only, Lord, were you sleeping and you didn't care that we were about to die, but now I found out the only reason we came was for, for one crazy person, you know, and, and then we're going right back across the water. The storm is barely ended. The seas have really just become calm, and we're going home already. I thought we were coming over here. You know, I don't mind risking my life if you're going to let me preach general conference, but, but you want me to go across this de- and this dangerous water all to reach just one person. And Jesus was trying to show them and us that anytime he sends you, it's going to be enough. And it might be the one. Um, and, and, and I just think that that's, uh, that's important to remember. Absolutely. Well, brother, brother ready. Um, as we close out this podcast, I mean, it's been tremendous content. Absolutely tremendous. Uh, it's gonna bless, gonna bless so many people hearing these stories, and it's gonna encourage, uh, you know, the the hearers and the listeners, and they're, they're I believe that their thinking patterns are going to change. Uh, but as we close out, what's one thing you want? They've listened this far. What's one thing you want them to walk away from this episode with? Well, just be encouraged that if. If you feel God is sending you into a situation, it uh, doesn't matter what it looks like. Um, there's, it's going to be everything he wants it to be. We just have to be his hands and feet. We don't have to manufacture anything. We don't have to orchestrate revival. God, he's sending revival. We just have to be his hands and his feet. And so I think that's that's the key. Is uh, But go with the authority of, of one who is sent. You know, that's apostolic. I'm not just out here floundering, hoping that something sticks. God is is orchestrating it, you know. And we Amen. we had the seven baptisms on Sunday. I I just actually just now in the last 30 seconds missed a call from another pastor on the reservation wanting to connect with us and find out how we can partner with them. And so these are the things that God will do for you when you're going in that authority that you've been sent. But it's not a it's not an arrogance. It's total humility, you know. If God's not doing it, it's not happening. And if Amen. you go like that, you've been sent, and you'll you'll see impact. Amen. This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you, who are willing to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website, in which you can become a monthly sponsor of one dollar. or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, 
Twitter, or Facebook.